industry focus. The podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild card! Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Monday, December 21st. I'm your host, Jason Moser. Joining me this week, as always, it's my partner in crime, certified financial planner, Matt Frankel. And Matt, this sounds like it's going to be a really fun episode for this week's financial show. We've got a special guest today, don't we? We do. We have the one and only Mr. Wonderful Kevin O'Leary. He's an investor. You know him from Shark Tank. He's And lately, he is the co-founder of a new investment app called Beanstalks. Kevin came to the show today because he's passionate about educating Americans on financial literacy and generally helping people build their financial future. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be here. Thank you so much. So you, you recently lost, launched this new investment app called Beanstalk, and it was launched during the pandemic. And you told me the story of, a few weeks ago about it. But So will you share with our listeners what led you to do this? Yeah, you know, I've, I've been obviously gotten some notoriety from Shark Tank. Uh, about 100 million people see these shows uh, each year. And over time, we've been invited to high schools. It's very popular with young entrepreneurs. And, and one theme keeps coming up over and over and over again. It's financial literacy. Uh, you know, we teach our kids everything in high school, sex education, geography, math, reading, et cetera. We do not teach them anything about credit cards or debt or investing. And then we ask ourselves why we end up in a situation as we are today, which has been highlighted by the pandemic a bit. There's a hundred million people in America that have said nothing aside for their retirement. And that, I don't know, it just, it, if I'm looking for a cause, which I am to really give back on, in 2021 and beyond, it's going to be financial literacy. It freaks me right out that so many people, including many of the people that work for me in my own companies, have just two weeks of cash set aside. And that's not even investing. That's just poor financial planning. So I decided to get into this space you know, by getting involved in providing an app that would do the kind of investing I do, uh, You know, that would share my investment philosophy and help these 100 million people get going. I mean, just start. That's the plan. Yeah, Kevin, that's a really good point. I'm glad you brought that up because that's it's something, obviously, it's very, very much in line with what we try to do here at The Motley Fool and in not only helping folks invest, but really helping folks believe that they can achieve their financial independence. But it really does start with that financial literacy. It, it is obviously a major problem. I don't I don't understand why it's not something that is just nationally taught. It seems like half the states require it as a high school diploma. Uh, half the states don't. But what it, understanding that financial literacy is is a big focus for you right now, what are the things that you feel like within that financial literacy realm? What are the most important parts of that today? I mean, you, you mentioned credit cards. I think that's certainly one of them. But what are some of the key aspects that you're focusing on? Well, the number one is to realize that saving and investing are two different things. One of the big challenges, people think, well, I'm going to take, you know, some, some, some amount of, of the, what I make in my paycheck and put it in a savings account. That is not investing. Investing is getting exposure to the market, which for many people is complicated. You know, we make the assumption that people know how to buy a stock, buy a bond, create a diversified portfolio, know what large cap, mid cap, small cap, tech and growth are. And you guys, The Motley Fool, have been on this for years. Not everybody knows how to do that. In fact, the majority of people don't. And so I wanted something like Beanstalks to do that for you. Beanstalks is a platform for people that want to build a nest egg, be exposed to the market, because a savings account 
doesn't get you market returns. Market returns over the last 100 years, 6 to 8%, depending on the year, generally over a long period of time. And so the whole idea is to invest a portion of your paycheck. I like 10% as the amount, at least 100 bucks a week. And just let it grow from your late 20s, the 30s and 40s and 50s. And you end up with a million, two, a million, five in the bank. And that's enough to retire on. So it's kind of like a safety net. But you, what I found out in, in doing all the research is that very few people and you know have the time or the desire or the skills to read financial statements, learn about individual stocks. So I prefer to use a vehicle that I've been using in my own family trust, ETFs, exchange-traded funds. There are over 2,000 of them out there. So the question becomes, which ones do I invest in? And some apps are very loyal to one brand. They're selling their own product, maybe. That's not how Beanstalks works. The way I invest is looking for the very best in each category. What's the best ETF for large cap? The best for mid cap? The best for small cap? The best for tech, for growth, for dividend growth? Then I put those into your portfolio, or not me, the app does. It does the work and it builds that core nest egg that you live and to grow on. And it doesn't mean you don't trade stocks, but you got to have the mother load somewhere. That's what I keep explaining to people. Where's the real money? Where are you really investing your bedrock? How do you feel? Where did, how did we get to a point where financial literacy is not something that's a focus in school? I mean, given everything that, that we know now, and, and given that the, it's just as obvious, as plain as day, how important it is, I mean, how are we at a point where it's still not a priority? Because the way our system works, and I know this because I spent over a decade working in the educational software industry for schools, our whole system is based on advancing reading and math scores through the testing process as you go right up to college. We care more about that than anything else, because if you score poorly in reading or math, you don't advance you know, through the system. And so all the energy from the teaching focus to all of the software developed focuses on that. That's a huge mistake because it leaves you at the age of 18, not understanding what to do financially, what to do, and not even understanding credit cards or debt, but even worse, not understanding the concept of taking a portion of what you make from that age, where no matter where you get it from and putting it aside for your own personal future. And so that's really what Beanstalks does. It says, look, you know, even at an age of 18, you can start to put in 100 bucks, 50 bucks, whatever it is you're putting in. And that is put aside into the markets for you and starts to accrue benefits all through your life. That's the idea. Now, are we good? Florida has advanced this. They are now teaching financial literacy at the high school level. As you mentioned, other states are doing this too. But we are so far behind with 100 million people in America with nothing set aside. I mean, anybody that's involved in financial literacy and that focus is doing a good thing. And if I can use my Shark Tank platform and, and your notoriety to get people thinking, including parents, about getting their kids set up, I'm doing, for, for me, an important thing. For sure. And um, I mean, we've all seen your public, the public side of your investment strategy on Shark Tank, which it sounds like that's a lot different than how you actually invest your own money. So when, when I... Um, when you first scheduled the show, the number one question people wanted me to ask you was, how do you invest your own money that we don't see on TV? And you said Beanstalks is, is loosely modeled around your own investment style. So how do you invest your own money? It's actually very much focused around my investment style. And in fact, I couldn't find an app that, that invested the way I did. So I, I got involved in Beanstalks. When I, when I was young, um, uh, my mother uh, taught me something very important about the concept of diversification. 
as a young woman, working woman, she worked for a company that made children's winter clothing. And she used to take 20% of her salary and put it into a portfolio, a diversified portfolio, primarily of dividend paying large cap stocks. And the other half was in telco bonds. For some reason, she was fixated on telco bonds. In that era, they were yielding sort of five and 6% five-year duration. When she passed away, uh, I'm the older brother, I became the executive for her wealth. She kept this this little account secret from both of her husbands her whole life. She was married twice. The, the executor called me up and said, you got to come down here. Your woman, your, your, your mother has, has died a very wealthy woman. And, and I went down there. I looked at the portfolio and I called my brother and went, you, you're not going to believe this. <laughs> I mean, and, and so she had this concept of setting something aside, which became the core of my own investment philosophy. So when people ask me, what, where's my real money? Well, my, I love Shark Tank, but that's venture investing. It's very, very risky. That's not where my real money is. My real money is invested in a very conservative portfolio of ETFs that focus on large cap, mid cap, small cap, tech growth and dividends. That's what I do. And that's why Beanstalks does the same thing. It's meant to be conservative. It's meant to preserve capital and it's meant to provide diversification. And so I live off those trusts and so do my whole family and the charities we support because they're designed to protect that wealth and we distribute 6%. You can decide what you want to take out, but you don't do that now, not in your 20s. You wait until you're retired. So uh, that's interesting, your style there. And, and, and I mean, given that, I mean, you, you've been investing for a while, obviously. I mean, I think we all have here. And, and, and we all are familiar with how we evolve as investors as time goes on. How has your investing style changed through the years? You know, you, you guys at Motley have done a great job in, in kind of explaining what investing is about. You've, you've educated millions of people that it's not that easy. Some people are really talented at stock picking and trading and willing to spend a couple of hours a day managing their nut, their portfolio, their long-term investment. But the majority of people can't do that. It's yeah. A, they may not have the time, B, they don't have the skill set, and, and C, they don't want to. And so Beanstalks is designed for the rest of them. My point is that when you, it's sometimes it's fun to trade. I get that. I'm not against that. But I taught my own kids, you build the nut. You, you have a strategy for building your nut, the thing that protects you for the rest of your life. And then you can do whatever you like on the side. You know, it, it's sort of, if you, if being stocks is the thing that you're putting in your hundred bucks a week into, it's doing all the work for you. It's yeah. laying it all out and doing it. And then if you want to trade stocks because you want to learn about it, great. But trading is not investing. You know, it's, it's, I'm not against it. It's, but it's yeah. not, Trading is something else. And I don't trade. I don't have the time for it. I make investments. I look at my portfolio. I manage it on a monthly basis, looking at the allocations. But I use a wide range of ETFs where I put millions of dollars to work. Trading is extremely difficult to do sustainably well. I think that's what we always try to tell people. Anybody can flip a coin and get it right, but to do that to do that well over long periods of time is very difficult. Um, it's something that we a question we get from all of our members all of the time, and it's not just this year, but it's it, it it's it's constant because we frankly see leadership changes here in the U.S. fairly constantly. But um, I, I guess the question is: Do you do you invest differently? Do you take a different philosophy or a different approach when leadership changes in the U.S.? Not really. I mean, I, I do look at policy above all. Uh, you know, the, the White House changes every four to eight years. But what really matters from your investment perspective is policy. And we now know with this new administration that they're going to be focused on vaccine and getting people back to work with a cognitive Fed. This is a very good time to be investing. 
and staying the course in equities. I have made a slight change because interest rates are so low. I used to be 50% fixed income and I've moved to 70 equities, 30 fixed income because I prefer you know, the upside of, of owning companies that have some form of pricing power in an inflationary environment and those are the large caps. But I also am well exposed in mid caps and tech and growth and dividend growth. I mean, I have diversification as the core to my strategy, but you know, what I, we we're talking about traders. One trader I had a conversation with, because I, I know a lot of people in that community and we talk all the time. I said, why don't you try this? Because you're in your late 20s. Every time you have a winner, in other words, you trade into a, a winning position, take 10% of it and stick it in bean stocks. Just take your winnings every once in a while and put a little piece aside because you're not doing any investing. You're just trading like a banshee. And why, <laughs> why don't you just take a little bit off the table? And he thought, yeah, that's not a bad idea because then I don't have to think about it. Exactly. That's my whole point. It's, it's, if, you, if you consider trading your job, take 10% of your paycheck and put it aside for yourself in a more conservative mandate. So I wanted to uh, kind of pivot to some questions about how you see the pandemic, how you see just business in general. Um, a lot of your businesses are retail in nature. You talked about your employees and how they didn't have a lot saved up and things like that. But a lot of your businesses are retail in nature. How do you see retail in a post-pandemic world? Do you see it bouncing back or do you see you having to you know, fundamentally shift your approach to, to uh, venture capital? Well, I've learned a lot since March and I have a lot of clarity on 2021 now. And I can give you an interesting sort of snapshot of what's occurred. Um, most companies, particularly consumer goods and services, of which I have many, uh, ex- ex- you know, I have exposure to many of them, the ones that survived, made the pivot, the digital pivot. They moved away from selling through retail. When you sell through retail, you make 50 cents on the dollar. When you sell direct to your customer, you make 100 cents on the dollar. So what they did is they licensed Shopify platforms. They got involved with DocuSign. They used Zoom. You know, they standardized on Wix.com, maybe for their, whatever they had to do to digitize. And then they took and focused their customers, not new customers, just their existing customers back on buying directly from them. And today, they're now, 80% of my portfolio is ahead of a forecast on free cash flow at the end of this year, which really shocked me quite a bit. And the other 20% are involved in travel and leisure and entertainment and the wedding industry. They're not doing so well, and it's unclear what's going to happen to them. But batting 800 is pretty good. But one thing I will say, retail is forever changed. Um, we are not reopening our, our, you know, the stores that had mediocre returns. We're never reopening them. We're just going to continue with the direct consumer model. And so I think the retail landscape is going to change quite a bit. If you have a brand like Lululemon or something, you can afford to have a retail store because you're selling thousand dollar winter coats. But if you're a generic retailer in a generic mall, the outcome is not going to be pretty. Yeah. You know, you you are, I think, spot on in regard to retail. We were talking about this earlier today on Market Foolery, actually, regarding Nike's most recent quarter uh, direct sales, uh, just phenomenal, representing almost forty percent of their business. Now, I mean, all of a sudden, you look back several years and you can recognize the investments they made in that direct to consumer are just paying off so so uh, well now. Um, let's let you know. In, in, this is this is the work from home environment, right? I mean, this this is something we've been all we've all been doing this this past year. Um, and obviously, given the nature of your job, it, it it demands that you be in a number of different places. Sometimes at once, it seems. <laughs> um, are are you are any of your employees or are you working from home? And what do you think about this work from home trend? Do you feel like retail being forever changed? Do you feel like this work from home trend is is something that's here to stay as well? 
Let me give you an anecdotal example of, of some fundamental change. This is a product uh, that I invested in, a company called Boost Oxygen. This is a can of uh, commercial oxygen, which is 95% pure oxygen, 5% air, and it's what pilots breathe on aircraft. And if the masks come down, it's what you breathe. And the idea of this company was to provide a boost in high altitude cities like Aspen and high altitude locations. It's pure oxygen. I use it instead of coffee now. It's much healthier and I use it in the afternoon. Now, this product, as you can imagine, because of the pandemic has uh, done extremely well, not because of high altitude, because of people's concerns about health and getting living at home and wanting to be healthy for respiratory basis. So the world's largest retailer, the name I can't give you, but let your imagination wander. Normally, uh, you know, they, they were they had it in high altitude locations and said, this thing's selling so well, we'd like to hear a plan to roll it out across the country in over 3,600 locations. Um, now, normally when that would happen in the past, the CEO would fly there, the head of sales and her team would fly there. And out of respect, because I own a significant position of the company, I would fly there too and support it in that presentation to the buyer because it's a very, very large order. And that's not what happened. We did it on an 18 minute Zoom call with some very high tech three dimensional graphics that showed the planogram in terms of how we were gonna present the product line. And I had a chance to speak to the buyer for a few minutes afterwards. She was a huge Shark Tank fan. And we talked a little bit about how her life has changed. She's getting 30% more productivity in every day because instead of five meetings a day, she's doing 18 minute Zooms, five minute break, 18 minute Zoom, five minute break. So she's getting more work done from her own home and she's driving the process with the companies. We're not wasting our time. So I called my guy in accounting, how much money did we save collectively by not having to go there? $37,000 straight wow. to the bottom line. Now that's happening all over America and it means bad news for motels, bad news for the airlines, great news for the other 80% of the economy that's going to accrue the benefit of that huge reduction in business travel and entertainment and more productivity in terms of getting their products. And this is for an online order with that retailer and a planogram for shelf. It's a huge order. And we did it all using technology. And so has, uh, has the COVID pandemic changed the way you invest at all? Or is it just evolving your existing investments a little bit, would you say? It, it, it hasn't changed the way I invest. It's made me focus on quality because there's a lot of change going on in the balance sheets of the S&P 500. I do not own the S&P 500. I own 100 of the S&P 500 that I think are the highest quality balance sheets based on return on assets, free cash flow. And that is exactly the philosophy you know, that, that I wanted in Beanstalks. It's really about per preservation of wealth. And we, you know, going back to the Beanstalks story is that's what I did there. That was one of the main reasons that I didn't promote some other app. When I actually looked at what they had inside of them, they had generic, in many cases, generic ETFs, which were just yeah. indexes. I don't own indexes anywhere. I wouldn't own an index. There's many companies that aren't going to be here in five years. Why would I want to own them? So I was really, I was really looking for the different ETFs from different publishers, different providers to make up the portfolio. And, and you really have to look when you're doing a long-term investing in any strategy, my own personal one or inside Beanstalks, what do you really own? What is it you actually sit there sleeping with year in, year out? Because I don't think generic indexes are going to perform as well as figuring out which companies are going to, what they're going to look like five years from now. You know, the Biden administration has made it clear they are not in favor 
of hydrocarbon infrastructure. And lo and behold, many of the large pension plans have come out, CalPERS, for example, saying we're not into it either because our own LPs, our own investors, don't want to invest in non-sustainable energy. And so these themes, you care about them because the incremental buyer, when an institution stops buying, if they're not there for you and you start owning energy stocks, well, maybe you should reconsider that that's not the best place to deploy capital, even though energy's had a big run. I don't think it's a great place to deploy capital for the next five years because the incremental buyer, the sovereign funds, the CalPERS, you know, the university pension plans, they're all pivoting away. And so you want to go where they're going to the quality names. And, and, and that's sort of the philosophy that I made sure was in, embedded into the DNA of Beanstalks. And, and I think I would really want you know, people to try it, particularly if they don't have a plan. I mean, you guys say that to everybody that listens to you. You've got to have a plan. You've got to figure out, are you a person that invests in stocks? Are you a person that reads balance sheets or not? If you don't, use a robo. Then ask yourself, which robo? If you want the one that reflects my personal style of investing, it's got to be Beanstalks. That's, what I, that's the way I invest anyways. And beyond that, I wanted to make sure I shouted this out. For the month of December, I've waived fees for anybody that downloads the app, sets up an account. No fees for the next three months. Just I want people to try it. Yeah, you know, I think you you really keyed in on something there with folks in regard to not wanting to do it because of a lack of time, a lack of understanding, whatever it may be. And it it does feel like so many folks feel like investing is too risky when clearly the bigger risk is is not doing it at all. Um, I like that theme. I'll tell you what's risky: getting to sixty five years old with no money in the bank. I can't even fathom that, and thankfully have been been living my life <laughs> in another way. Um, let's let's take a little bit of a turn here. You know, we 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 consider humility to be one of the investor's greatest traits. I'm sure you I'm sure you believe that as well. Anytime that you can, I, the older I get, the more I, I enjoy being able to say, you know what, I was wrong because it means that I've learned I've learned something, and it's made me better. Uh, looking back through your life as an investor, what was it? Doesn't have to be the worst, but but what is what is one of the invest that really sticks out is, you know, not such a good one. What's one of the worst investments you've ever made? What'd you learn from it? I learned a very, very important lesson and I'll never forget it. And it's a great lesson for everybody listening. I shorted Yahoo before it was put into the S&P 500. I shorted it at $32 a share and I was convinced that it had no value and watched it go to 280. The margin calls, it was with the old Bear Stearns, before it was gone, were in the millions of dollars an hour. And I was committed to holding on to that short because I knew one day Yahoo would be at least a zero, I thought. It took years. And I remember I was golfing in Boston um, at Brayburn, uh, my golf course, when my broker from Bear Stearns called me up and said, Kevin, um, Yahoo is back to $32 where you started this horrific journey can I cover? I said, no, I think it's going to zero. <laughs> it's not that I was right. It's that I killed myself by not understanding that when you short a stock, your losses are unlimited. And I tied up for years, millions of dollars of my capital just for the margin to do something very, very stupid. So now what I do in terms of being an investor, the lesson I learned there, you know, cause I covered that short, I think at 1250, and I made a few thousand, you know, I made nothing compared to the, the money I risked. It was so yeah. stupid. But the point was, I never let a stock become more than 5% of my portfolio. And I never let a sector become more than 20, ever. Not 
forever. And that way, when I'm in, when I own a Tesla and it's going doing its thing, I'm selling into the strength, keeping my five percent waiting, selling, 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 keeping my exposure. Now I don't get all the winnings, but I also don't get the losses when it corrects because my my cost of capital in in the stock, you know, my acquisition cost is zero. I've yep. covered it all off as as it moved up. So managing those positions is what Bean Stocks does. I mean, it does the same kind of thing if you're not doing it yourself, but it's kind of a philosophy, five and 20. It's very simple to remember, five and 20. Don't get caught offside and then that'll protect your hiney for the rest of your life. And don't do stupid things like shorting the next Yahoo, whatever that is. Five and 20, that's better than two and 20, right? Five <laughs> <laughs> percent waiting on the stock and 20 in the sector. It will protect you as an investor your whole life. So um, what you said before about Beanstalks, and I have another question, but that sounds like a real key differentiator that you don't just put money in the S&P or in you know, the, the total bond index or, or any of those. Um, because Yeah, I mean, I, I, you're right, because you're just indexing when you're doing that, which is what many of those robos do. Right. That sounds like a key differentiator, because I've done a lot of our robo reviews for The Motley Fool, and it seems like a lot of them, they're, all the indexes are either the S&P 500 or something very close to it. Or you know a generic small cap index or something like that. So that could be a key differentiator worth worth uh, no, noting. I, I'm very proud of that because when I'm out there talking about reflecting my investment strategy, I do not own a single index. I just don't do that. I would never do that. There's so many stocks I don't want to own, and that's that's reflected inside. And I would urge others, you know, to look at look at the performance of of bean stocks versus other robos. I mean, let the numbers speak for themselves. It's interesting you mentioned that. Um, so we all see, I've mentioned this several times, we see you as a, a venture capital investor, things like that. Um, what are the differences between investing in public and private companies that people would need to know? Because a lot of people would love to do what you do, but what, it's, you said it's not for everybody. Um, so it sounds like, you know, being stocks is one end, you know, investing automatically. Then you have venture capital, which is what you do on Shark Tank, and then investing in public companies directly is kind of in the middle, like a Tesla or something like that. So what are the differences in your mind of investing in public and private companies? I know you said risk is one, but what else? Liquidity. The biggest problem with taking on risk in venture capital or private equity is liquidity. You should consider that investment gone from liquidity or gone from you for five to seven years. You should have in your mind the ability to live without that capital for a very long extended period of time. And the people that make mistakes in venture vesting or in, in private equity forget that they need liquidity in their lives because in life, poo-poo happens. Mm -hmm. And you just don't know when it's going to happen. And when that occurs, you need liquidity. And so, you know, I would say 95% of what I invest or maybe 90, let's make it 90%, is in very liquid, large cap, you know, uh, companies or companies that are, are profitable mid cap or small profit tech companies, all done through ETFs. That, that's 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 the core, my core holding, and that's sort of the philosophy of Beanstalks. The stuff I do, um, the very speculative stuff I do in in uh, Shark Tank, for example, and I have many other companies. You know, one of the great things about being a shark, I'll be honest with you, is I get shown everything now. I see every deal there is practically. And, and I have a whole team of people analyzing them. And we make many investments outside of, of Shark Tank because we see wonderful ideas and great entrepreneurs and I want to be supportive. But I, I consider that money gone when I invest in it because I have no idea 
of what the outcome is going to be. And then every morning, because I've got so many of them now, I have a complete Shakespearean drama playing out. Euphoria <laughs> in one area, maybe five companies just exploding with upside like the, like this last week, the call that we were going to do that Zoom with, with that giant retailer. That's euphoria. And then I have companies in, 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 in business travel that are just you know, begging for another PPP loan. Maybe they're going to make it, maybe they're not. So that, that, that plays out all day long. It's just a giant chorus of, of euphoria versus complete misery. And that is the nature of venture investing. And then every once in a while, I'll get a phone call saying, oh, they want to buy uh, your, your, you know, they want to buy plated for 340 million. Albertson wants to buy my plated company. That's good. I like that. <laughs> Yeah, that's, a, that's a good outcome. And that pays for all my mistakes. I mean, that's the nature of that business. But that has nothing to do with, with the, 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 the bedrock strategy that I teach you know, my kids about investing for themselves or what Beanstalks does. And if you want to be a venture investor, you better be ready for rock and roll because it, it is, the outcome is completely unknown, completely random. It's very, lots of energy. And I love working with the entrepreneurs, but the outcomes are crazy outcomes. You just don't know what's going to happen. Ken, before we wrap things up today, we we always are very interested to know um, the investors that we speak with. We like to know the investors that have had an impact in your life. Uh, what what investors throughout your entire investing life, what investors have had an impact on you and, and, and why? There is one, Charlie Munger. Ah, Charlie one. Munger is my guy. I, I he He represents to me um, I mean, there's nothing wrong with Warren Buffett, but you want to know where all that philosophy comes from and, and who keeps Warren Buffett on a straight track. It's Charlie Munger. He has two words, cash flow, <laughs> cash flow. That's what he believes in. My whole investment strategy is built around cash flow. I have a little Charlie Munger on my shoulder every day when I look at a deal. And it, he's, he's, he's just saying two words, cash flow, cash flow. And so he's right. He is the most astute balance sheet guy in the world. No BS guy, says it the way it is. You can't sell him crap. It's impossible. And, you know, does it keep him out of speculative situations? Yeah. There's many stocks that, you know, probably had fantastic returns. But because he stays onto the, 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 the straight and narrow on cash flow, he is an incredibly wealthy and successful man. You can't go wrong with cash flow. I agree. I agree with that. All right. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for joining us on Industry Focus today. And it sounds like that will wrap up the show for the week. Thank you. Really appreciate it. I love what you guys do and keep it up. Financial literacy, it's part of what you do and it's really important. And, you know, thank you for focusing on Beanstalks. I'm very proud of it and I want everybody to try it. Great. Thanks, Kev. Uh, that'll do it for us today, folks. Remember, you can always reach out to us on Twitter at MF Industry Focus. You can drop us an email at industryfocus at fool.com. Let us know what you thought of the interview with Kevin O'Leary. A lot of great stuff here today. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Thanks, as always, to Tim Sparks for putting the show together for us. And thanks again to our special guest, Kevin O'Leary, for taking the time to join us this week as well. For Matt Frankel, I'm Jason Moser. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Music